Hi all, you're listening to At The Bean, a medical education podcast where we discuss high-yield oncology with a focus in radiation oncology. We are Trudy and Josh, and thank you for listening. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of At The Beam. This is Josh, accompanied by Trudy Wu. So today we're going to discuss a case of Hodgkin's lymphoma. So this is a malignancy of B-cell origin. Um, Hodgkin's lymphoma makes up about 10% of all lymphoma cases. So they're not nearly as common as non-Hodgkin's. There are generally two populations that are commonly affected. So these are those who are in the 20 to 30 age range, as well as those in their 50s. So Trudy, let's get this started. And can you please describe how Hodgkin's lymphoma can further be subcategorized? Yeah. So Hodgkin's lymphoma can be divided into classic Hodgkin's lymphoma and nodular lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin's lymphoma. In the U.S., classic is far more common, comprising of 95% of cases. Furthermore, classic Hodgkin's lymphoma can be divided into four subgroups. These are one, nodular sclerosing, two, mixed cellularity, three, lymphocyte rich, and four, lymphocyte depleted. So in classic Hodgkin's lymphoma, the histologic finding is the Reed-Sternberg cell, and these are large owl-eyed-shaped nuclei that you will see on pathology review. A quick tip to keep in order is to uh, remember that there are two words in Reed-Sternberg and two words in Hodgkin's lymphoma compared to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. All right, good job. So on path review, it's also important to know that immunohistochemistry can be helpful in identifying CHL or classic Hodgkin's lymphoma versus NLPHL, which is nodular lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin's lymphoma. A certain marker such as CD15 is usually positive in CHL and CD30 is always positive. In NLPHL, CD20 will always be positive, while CD15 and 30 are nearly always negative. So let's get started with our case. So we have a 23-year-old man who has a history of a subacute cough and a chest x-ray demonstrating a mediastinal mass that's presenting to your office. If you had to guess without any additional information, what type of Hodgkin's lymphoma would you worry that he may have? Of the four types of classic Hodgkin's lymphoma, the most common would be nodular sclerosing, which makes up about 70% of cases. This is most often seen in young adults who present with a mediastinal mass, such as our patient. And on history and physical, I'd be interested in asking about the presence of B symptoms, including fevers greater than 100.4 Fahrenheit, drenching night sweats, weight loss greater than 10% of body weight within six months of diagnosis. In terms of workup, I would want to collect a CBC, ESR, LDH, CMP, and also get a PET-CT scan. I would also like to pursue tissue confirmation given a high suspicion for Hodgkin's lymphoma and preferably opt for an excisional biopsy or core needle biopsy, which is adequate if diagnostic of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And FNAs are inadequate. All right. That's a good start. So uh, say he's lost about 20 pounds over the past five months and frequently has night sweats that he says will soak his bed. Um, Since you have high suspicion that this is a lymphoma, is there anything else that you'd want to get in anticipation of systemic therapy? Yeah. So I would want to get PFTs, um, check in HIV, HBV, HCV, and also get an echo. Also, I would want to talk to the patient about fertility preservation and a pregnancy test had this patient been a female, and also consider a bone marrow biopsy if he has unexplained cytopenias. 
um, as well as if the PET CT is positive. The overall frequency of bone marrow involvement is about 5% or less, and bone marrow biopsies are usually not necessary if the PET is negative. Great. So his biopsy returns as nodular sclerosing Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, remember that a classic presentation for patients like this is pruritus and lymph node pain after drinking alcohol. So before we discuss his PET scan results, what immunophenotype would you expect for CHL? So as mentioned earlier, CD15 and CD30 are the markers we look out for. A way I remember this is Reed-Sternberg cells often have two nuclei, like owl eyes, and can be remembered as 15 times 2 equals 30, so CD15 and 30. <laughs> All right, got some math in there. <laughs> <laughs> so how um, can you break down how we classify Hodgkin's lymphoma? That's the only math I can do. <laughs> better than what I can do. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So there are three prognostic groups, early stage favorable, early stage unfavorable, and then advanced stage. Stage one and two are considered early stage, and three or four are advanced stage. What distinguishes unfavorable from favorable disease? The presence of multiple involved nodal regions, bulky mediastinal disease, presence of B symptoms, extra nodal involvement, or a high ESR all considered unfavorable characteristics. Do note that the definition of unfavorable disease may differ depending on the institution. Yeah, that's perfect. That's right. So, uh, for example, in both um, the NCC and EORTC definitions for unfavorable disease, three or more lymph node regions um, must be involved, whereas in the GHSG, two lymph node regions are enough to be considered unfavorable. Uh, there are also other slight differences in the definitions, but we won't get into the nitty-gritty of that right now. So for our patient, his staging PET-CT showed a large FDG avid mediastinal mass with a mediastinal mass ratio of 0.4 and uptake at the right axilla. So first, let's define what MMR is? Yeah, so um, MMR, which is the mediastinal mass ratio, is the ratio of the maximum width of the mediastinal mass and the maximum intrathoracic diameter. So any MMR greater than one-third is considered bulky disease. In our patient with an MMR of 0.4, we would consider him to have bulky disease. Good job. So what is this patient's stage and risk group, and how do we approach treatment? So he has two sites of disease above the diaphragm, so he's an Ann Arbor stage two. Remember the staging goes as follows. Stage one, one lymph node region or one site. Stage two, two or more sites on the same side of the diaphragm. Stage three, disease on both sides of the diaphragm. Stage four, extensive organ involvement, such as involvement of the lungs and bones or any involvement of the liver or bone marrow. So he has multiple unfavorable risk factors, bulky disease, and positive B symptoms. Therefore, we would classify him as an early stage unfavorable disease. For early stage unfavorable disease, we consider starting with ABVD times two followed by a restaging PET-CT. The Doval score at that time will then guide our next steps. Great. And uh, for listeners, ABVD stands for doxorubicin, bleomycin, vinblastine, and decarbazine. Now that you mentioned the Doval score, do you mind just elaborating a little bit more? Yeah, so the Doval score is a five-point scoring system to describe uptake of lesions on a PET image. The FDG uptake of the lesions are compared against the mediastinum and liver. One is no uptake, 
Two is uptake less than or equal to the mediastinum. Three is uptake greater than the mediastinum, but less than or equal to the liver. Four is uptake moderately higher than the liver and visually above the adjacent background activity. And five is uptake markedly higher than the liver and or appearance of new lesions. That's right. So our patient gets his restaging PET performed after two courses of ABVD and both his mediastinal mass and axillary lymphadenopathy measured FDG activity that's less than the mediastinum. So this reflects a Doville 2 response. So what do we do now? So there are generally two approaches we can move forward with now, only one of which involves radiation. One option is to continue with chemo alone and treat with four additional courses of ABD and leave out the bleomycin. The second option is to treat with two more cycles of ABVD followed by in-site radiation therapy. So in this case, we opt to move forward with two more cycles of ABVD followed by ISRT. Can you tell me the dose and fractionation that you're going to consider and how you would simulate this patient? So for the bulky disease, i.e. his mediastinal mass, I like to prescribe at least 30 to 36 gray and two gray fractions. For his non-bulky disease, i.e. his axilla, we can treat to 30 gray, also in two gray fractions. For simulation, I like to obtain a CT scan with IV contrast in the inclined supine position with arms up and utilize a DIVH. It is critical that we fuse the pre-chemo and post-chemo PET CT scans to the CT sim and then use these in delineation of our treatment volumes. Yeah, excellent point. So a uh, quick rule of thumb in Hodgkin's lymphoma is that non-bulky sites can typically be treated ranging 20 to 30 gray, depending on favorable versus unfavorable status, and bulky sites uh, to 30 to 36 gray. Now, using all our scans, we should carefully delineate the pre-chemo GTV and post-chemo GTV. The CTV uh, should be a one and a half CM margin off the GTV, and this would be carving out any uninvolved structures, and then a one CM axial and one and a half CM cranial caudal margin for a PTV. So in our young 20-something-year-old patient, long-term toxicity becomes a concern. We want to make sure that OAR doses are minimized. So what are some of the management considerations with this in mind? So some of the strategies to consider include um, treatment with chemotherapy alone. If irradiating, you can consider simulation with the arms down to reduce breast exposure superiorly. Consideration of 3D APPA approaches can also help reduce unnecessary low dose to key structures at risk for secondary cancers, such as the breast, esophagus, stomach, and pancreas. Although in this era, we can consider protons as well. For long-term cardiotoxicity, you can consider DIBH, like in this case, and then the use of VMAT protons, and then also get a stress echo about 10 years following treatment. Exactly. So um, the important uh, constraints to consider include ensuring that the heart mean dose is less than 8 gray and that the LAD V15 is less than 10%. The lung mean dose should be less than 13.5 gray. The V20 should be less than 30% and the V5 should be less than 55%. It's uh, very important to be mindful of these constraints in a young patient who's also at risk of cardiotoxicity from chemotherapy to begin with. So your dosimetrist runs the plan several times, but can't seem to get the mean heart dose below 11. Um, are you okay with that? Ugh. Like I said, ideally our goal is to have a mean heart dose less than 8 gray. But 
I suppose less than 15 gray would be considered acceptable. Given some of the recent data on LAD dose and cardiotoxicity risk, I would want to make sure that our LAD constraint of V15 less than 10% is at least being met. Great. So you see your patient in clinic before starting treatment. Um, what are you going to counsel regarding side effects? In the acute period, he may develop some fatigue and possibly skin irritation. However, it is the chronic toxicity we need to counsel on, which include risk of a major cardiac adverse event, pericarditis, cardiomyopathy, valvular heart disease, hypothyroidism, and then pneumonitis. Also, it is very important to counsel younger patients on the risk of developing a secondary malignancy in the future. All right, excellent job. And uh, how do you want to follow up with this patient? He should be seen for history and fiscal every three to six months for the first three years. A complete response by PET-CT should be documented within three months of completing treatment. Surveillance imaging with CT scan should be obtained no sooner than every six months the first two years. And great job, Trudy. So um, we want to thank Dr. Ann Raldo of UCLA for reviewing today's script. Thank you all for listening. Be well and remember to always trust but verify. In a high suspicions. Uh, sus I would also suspicion. like to pursue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>